If you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn to the book of Acts, chapter 11. Just to give you kind of a big picture overview, we're about to to venture into the next section of Acts. If you were here at the beginning, uh, when we started studying this book, you may remember that Acts is a three-part drama. uh, that That the witness about Jesus, the good news of Jesus, begins in Jerusalem and then goes to Judea and Samaria and then extends all the way to the ends of the earth. Well, we're, we're about to get into that ends of the earth part. Uh, what we've seen for the past two weeks is God bridge or break down that great divide between Gentiles and Jews, the great racial divide. Uh, Jesus, the gospel, bridges that. And we saw that in Uh, in the story about Peter and Cornelius. And what we saw was that God commanded Peter, a Jew, to take the good news about Jesus to a group of Gentiles meeting in the home of Cornelius. Uh, And what we saw happen is that as the Gentiles hear the good news, they believe and they receive the Holy Spirit just as the Jews had on the day of Pentecost. It It was another Pentecost But then in chapter 11, what happens is Peter goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, And as the the church in Jerusalem gathers, Peter starts catching some flack. He starts being criticized by his countrymen. Uh, Luke describes them as those of the circumcision. Uh, Peter is criticized for going into a Gentile's home. That would have made him unclean. And so what Peter does in the first 17 verses of Chapter 11 is he rehearses the whole story for them. He tells them how God had pushed him to do that. That God is the one who had said, what I have made clean, do not call common. And Peter is told to go and to share Jesus with these unclean Gentiles. And when he does, they believe and they receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter says when he saw that, when he saw the gift of the Holy Spirit being given to the Gentiles... He said, who is I that I could stand in God's way? This is not man's work. This is not man's mission. This is God's work. This is God's mission. He empowers it. I can either cooperate or get out of the way. And so that's what Peter tells his countrymen. And we're going we're gonna to focus this morning on one verse in particular. This is not common for us to do, but uh, there was a, a wealth here that I wanted to look at. So I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 11, verse 17. Uh, and then we're going to focus primarily on verse 18. This is, this is Peter speaking. If then God gave the same gift to them, the Holy Spirit, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also... God has granted repentance that leads to life. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May he nourish and feed us with his word this morning. Amen. As I said, we don't usually just consider one verse. That's not typical for us. But as I was uh, preparing the next sermon in the series this week, uh, I just got kind of hung up here. uh, And so I felt it was important that, uh, that, that we camp out here and spend some time on it. Uh, so, so Peter relays these events of great importance to his uh, fellow Jews. 
And these Jewish believers are stunned into silence. Uh, they hear what God has done. And it's as if God has, has put his hand over their mouths and stopped their criticism. They're stunned into silence. And then, and then they glorify God. They praise God. And notice uh, how they praise God, what it is they say. They say, even to these Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, why do I want to focus uh, just on this one verse? For starters, this verse really kind of pivots us into the rest of the book. Uh, because from this point forward, this is exactly what is happening. The, the major focus of Acts will be God welcoming the Gentiles in. But more than that, I wanted to look at this, this verse today and this concept today uh, because I believe in here we find a truth that powers ordinary people uh, to follow Jesus and to, to live on mission for Jesus. And so I want to frame it this morning really with two main questions. First, what is repentance that leads to life? And then second, where does that repentance come from? And then finally, I, we'll, we'll ask the so what question. Why, uh, why should these things matter? So first off, what is repentance that leads to life? What is repentance? Well, that, that word, uh, we talk about it a lot here. Uh, that word means to turn. In the, Bible's, uh, in, in the use of the Bible, it means to turn from sin. So to turn from rebellion against God to turn from trusting in ourselves and in other saviors for life and for satisfaction and for joy. Uh, repent means to turn away from that. Uh, John Calvin has a, a famous line that says uh, that, our, that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory that we are all the time ginning up things and people to worship, whether that's ourselves or our families or our jobs or our money. And really, all Calvin is doing is uh, putting in colorful language what Paul says in Romans 1. Uh, there, Paul says that rather than serve the creator, we worship and serve the creature. We worship and serve what God has made rather than God himself. And as we do that, our hearts are darkened. And so to repent means to turn from that idolatry, to turn from that worship to God. And the, the two part of that is actually what we call faith. So those two things go together, repent, repentance and faith, repent and believe. To have faith or to believe is to trust in something, to rest on something. We talked about that actually last week. Uh, now, right here in this verse, faith is not mentioned, uh, but Peter does mention it in Acts 10:43, uh, And Jesus actually puts those two words together in his own ministry. In Mark 1, when he begins preaching, he says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so... You could say that wherever repentance is mentioned, faith or belief is there in parentheses. And wherever faith is mentioned, you could say that repentance is there in parentheses. That they're not, sometimes they're mentioned together, sometimes they're mentioned on their own, but they always go together. There's a turning from and a turning to. 
uh, repentance and faith. And the the easy way to remember that uh, this is what I teach the this is what I teach the little kids, and it's a little bit crass, but I guarantee you, you won't forget it. Um, if you were going to ask, how do I receive forgiveness? How do I find eternal life? The answer is TT. Turn and trust. See how easy is that to remember? TT. Turn and trust. Right. That's repentance and faith. Turning and trusting. They're two sides of the same coin, and we call that coin conversion. To turn from our son, to turn to God. The uh, here's how the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a teaching tool that was written in the late 1600s. Here's how it breaks it down for us when we ask the question, what is repentance unto life? The answer is this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace by which a sinner, being truly aware of his sinfulness, so you know your need, you see your need, understands the mercy of God in Christ, so you see the solution, grieves for and hates his sin, and turns from his sins to God, fully intending and striving for a new obedience. That's repentance. We could really summarize it by saying, you see your need, and you see the solution, and you run to Jesus. All right, that's repentance. So then that begs the question, who is repentance for? Or who needs to repent? And the answer to that question is, everyone. Think of the sweetest older lady you know. And we have a number of sweet older ladies in our church. All right? That sweet older lady is no less... Gary, don't point at Tammy like that. That sweet, that sweet older lady is no less in need of repentance than the vilest criminal that you can think of. Both of them must turn from their rebellion to God, to Jesus. Everyone, it's right, when Jesus says repent and believe, he addresses that to the whole crowd. He's not just addressing the big sinners. He's addressing everybody. So who needs to repent? I do. And you do. And our hearts, and we're going to talk more about this in a minute, but our, our hearts are so stubborn and rebellious, Zach read from Jeremiah this morning, they're so deceitful that we even need to repent of our repentance. Like even our repentance doesn't go deep enough, right? Uh, that we have a tendency to stop short, uh, that to, to, not, to not fully plumb the depths of just how broken and sinful we are. Uh, flip back with me real quick to Acts chapter 2. should have told you to, to keep your Bibles open this morning. We're going to jump to a couple of different places. I want you to see what this repentance looks like. We've covered it when we covered Acts chapter 2. But Peter is preaching to this large crowd. And he tells them, in verse 36, that they are the ones who crucified the Lord Jesus. That they are responsible for his death. Now, not all of them were there that day. But he's saying that your sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross. And notice how they respond in verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Friend, that's where you want to be. You want to be wounded by God's grace. 
These people knew they were wounded. They knew they were wrong. They knew they were in danger. They were cut to the heart. And listen, that doesn't feel good. Conviction doesn't feel good. But it's where we want to be. It's where we need to be because that's where God works. We have to acknowledge our own helplessness. And we have to despair of our own strength before uh, we will actually turn and trust him. And so they were cut to the heart. And then look, they asked, uh, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They said, Help. We've got a problem. What do we do about this? Doctor, what's the cure? And what does Peter say? He says, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now again, repent, and I want you to put in parentheses there, and believe. You can't turn from something without turning to something. But Peter's counsel to them, being cut to the heart, being convicted of sin, was to repent. And so, friend, that may be you this morning. Maybe we sang that song, Satisfied. Are you the person who's gathered the the dust of life around you? You thought that you were gathering riches and treasures, and instead you found that you were were in a a broken cistern, as Jeremiah says, a mud pit, not able to get any satisfying water. All the treasures and trinkets that you've stored up for yourself they are not satisfying after all. They don't, they don't meet that deep need in your heart. Then repent. Repent and believe in Jesus who satisfies all of our longings. So that's repentance. That answers that question. Now let's talk about what, where does repentance come from? Now clearly it's something that we're responsible for. I can't tell you to do something and not hold you responsible for it. So we have to repent. It's a command. Jesus gives it as a command. Repent and believe. Something we do. And yet, what does it say in verse 18 of chapter 11? To the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance. God has given repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. Now, wait a minute, Kevin. You just said that I'm responsible for it. How, can it. how can it be something that I have to do and something that comes from God? Now, you may want somebody smarter than me to wrestle out all the calculus of how that works. But let me put it this way. God gives what he commands. God in his grace enables us to repent and believe. So yes, we are repenting and believing. God in his grace enables us to do that. Let me, uh, this, this analogy is imperfect. Uh, it can only go so far, but we'll just, just go with me. Imagine you're 16 again. Maybe you don't want to, but let's go back there for just a minute. Uh, and that your parents have given you a car. Okay? Um, and... Now, the next morning, right, you're heading off to school. Who gets in the driver's seat to drive your car? Is it you or is it your parents? It's you, 
right? Your parents, your parents don't come out and drive your car. And if, and if they've given you this car, but you're driving it to school and you run a stop sign, are they going to send the ticket to your parents? You wish, right? No, they send it to you because you're responsible. You're the one who ran the stop sign. Now, whose car is it? Your car is given to you, but your parents gave it to you. Right, so whose car is it? Is it your car? Yes. Did your parents give it to you? Yes. They enabled your response. Right? Again, not a perfect analogy, but God gives what he commands. Repentance and faith are a gift from God. He enables us to respond to his good news. Let me prove that to you from the scriptures. Flip back with me to Acts chapter 5. Just to show you that I'm not making this stuff up. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Peter, again preaching this time uh, to the uh, authorities, the Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin. They are not happy with him because he won't stop talking about Jesus. And he says this. Let me start reading in verse 30. He says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to do what? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So God gave repentance to Israel, just like he did to the Gentiles, right? God gives repentance, has to give repentance to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Let's flip forward to Acts chapter 16. This time it's Paul. Uh, he's in the, uh, the city of Philippi. And he meets a merchant woman uh, named Lydia. And here's what we read in verse 14 of Acts 16. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, meaning she believed, and her household as well, uh, she urged us to stay. All right. So, Paul is preaching. Lydia is believing. And yet, what is the bridge that connects the two? God opened her heart to respond to what was being said by Paul. So, Paul was faithful to share... But God opened Lydia's heart to respond to the gospel that Paul shared with her. We call that, that making of the heart, that remaking of the heart, we call that regeneration. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 3 when he says that unless a person is born again, regenerated, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. And it's what we heard earlier. Jeremiah tells us we have a deceitful and wicked heart. What's the remedy for a deceitful and wicked heart? Ezekiel says, the Lord says through Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I'll enable you to walk in my commandments. So, friend, what we need in order to respond to God, what we need is a divine heart transplant. 
We need our hearts removed, our hearts of stone removed and hearts of flesh put in. Moses says basically the same thing in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. So this is all over the scriptures that God is the one who must enable us. God is the one who must work in our hearts to give us the ability to respond to him. Now, why does he have to do that? Well, because turning and trusting are not natural to us. We don't do that on our own. And if you need to be convinced of that, let's just take a quick survey. How hard is it for you to admit that you're wrong? How hard is it for you to say you're sorry without qualification? Right? You've been there. I'm sorry I blew up, but... As if somehow the but's going to, whatever follows that but makes this okay. Right? That's actually not an apology. That's called self defense masquerading as apologies. Okay? Uh, there's no sorry in there. If you ever have to put but after sorry, you might as well have just not said you were sorry. Okay? Um, so, in case that doesn't get you, how about this? How easily do you minimize your own guilt? When you say things like, well, there were some mistakes made. Or, hey, it's just the way I am. I can't help it. Right? How easily do you criticize others? Bolstering your own stock by pushing others down. Especially with your words when they're out of earshot. Here you go. How hard is it for you to ask for help. Right? We, we love to be seen as self-reliant people, uh, and we want other people to say about us, he would, give, he would give me the shirt off his back. But do you have a hard time asking for the shirt off someone else's? Do you have a hard time admitting that maybe you're not as self-sufficient as you think you are? We've been watching this, uh, this documentary on Michael Jordan called The Last Dance. I, I guess technically it's about the Bulls, but um, really it's about Michael Jordan. Um, great competitor, uh, amazing athlete, best ever in the game, incredibly driven and incredibly successful. But what's interesting is they get underneath his story, you realize that it's all rooted in pride. Uh, that when they talk to his, uh, his brothers and to his parents... Right, that what drives Michael is this insatiable desire to prove himself. Right? He, could, he could never measure up to his older brother. His older brother always had his dad's affection. And so what did Michael do? He was just going to excel in the basketball court to prove himself. And you see this relentless drive all the way through his career. Even, even when they win their first title against Magic Johnson and the L.A. Lakers, what Jordan says is, finally... I can be listed with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson as kind of the great icons of the game. So even in success, Michael Jordan cannot get off the treadmill of his own pride. He cannot admit that he is a flawed individual who desperately needs help. Friend, that's us. That's why we need God to enable us to repent because it doesn't come naturally to us. 
God must give us these things. And the good news is, he does. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? So, so there it is, right? Repentance and where repentance comes from. Now, so what? What? Why does all of that matter? What do we do with that? And I think there's a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ways we can apply those, the, those beautiful truths. Let me suggest just a few. First, I think this truth enables us to live humbly. That, that what grace does is it lowers me and it exalts God so that instead of boasting in myself, I now boast in what really matters. Right? It lowers my estimation of myself and it, and it raises God in my estimation. So that the more I grasp God's grace, the more I adore him. And the more I adore him, the more I boast about him. And the more I boast about him and adore him, the more that that shapes me in his image. This is kind of, this, and this, by the way, is why repentance and faith are not a one-time deal, but a daily, maybe, maybe more than daily uh, cycle. Right, That we're always asking God to reveal to us our sin and reveal to us his grace so that, so that we boast more and more in, uh, in, in Jesus and less and less in ourselves. And so quite simply, that means you can admit you're wrong. You can be okay with being wrong. You can be okay with not having to defend yourself. Right? You can actually admit... I'm a sinner, and I'm in desperate need of salvation, and I don't have to one-up anybody. That's, that's at least what it means to live humbly. Uh, we can also, well, let me say this. Paul, Paul, Paul wrote a letter to a church in Corinth, to a group of believers in Corinth, uh, and they were very proud people. Right? They were very proud of the gift. They were very proud of what God was doing in their midst, and and Paul asked them a simple question. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if so, why are you boasting as if you didn't receive it? It's not yours. So stop boasting about it. Boast in Jesus. So uh, this truth enables us to live humbly. Also, this truth enables us to live freely. Right? It enables us to live freely, at least uh, as we think about the book of Acts... Uh, because I'm not responsible for other people's salvation, right? That, that that burden is removed from off of my shoulders because God is the one who handles the, those results. So I can live freely on mission with Jesus because God is the one who is responsible for changing people. I'm responsible to bear witness, and God in His grace has equipped me to bear witness and yet, I can, I can faithfully discharge my responsibility and not have to hard sell Jesus. I don't, have to, I don't have to convince you because God is the one who does the convincing. God is the one at work in the human heart. Again, Paul in 1 Corinthians would say, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So I can live freely, knowing that God is the one who gives the growth. And then one final application, I can live faithfully. Right? Not only is this truth freeing, but it's also stretching. Because if it's not up to me, then I'm going to have to lean hard onto God. Right? I, 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 I'm not going to walk out of my door in the morning with like, yeah, I'm going to go change the world. Right? I'm going to have to actually trust and pray for God to work in the little things and in the big things. Right? This truth enables us to live faithfully. Because God's mission, the, the mission will fail without God's intervention. Unless God does the work, then everything falls apart. And so that means that this is an invitation to live faithfully before God. Grace invites me to live faithfully. So this morning I would just end by asking you the question, are you tired of running? Are you tired of living on the treadmill of your own self-sufficiency? Then, friend, turn. Turn away from that mud pit. Turn away from that cesspool and trust. Trust in the only person who can give you life and satisfaction forever. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you again for your grace. We thank you that you have made possible what we could not do on our own. Lord, I pray that that would transform our hearts and help us to live humbly and freely and faithfully before you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and give thanks to God for the grace that he's shown us. If, uh, if you're giving in person this morning, the Offering plates are out in the gathering area. You can also give online or by text. Uh, let's, uh, let's respond to God's grace by singing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Receive God's blessing from Acts chapter 20. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And God's people said, Amen.